Hi, welcome to Comic Book Herald's Cree Annotators. I'm your guest host, Mark Turetsky, and I'm here with my co-host. Uh, he's one of the hosts of the smash hit podcast, The Flophouse, and he owns two bars in Brooklyn, including the D&D-themed bar, Hinterlands. It's Stuart Wellington. Hey. Hey, Stuart. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's me, Stuart Wellington, and we have a special guest today, the person we're interviewing, correct? That's correct. Uh, we've got, uh, well... Let me just introduce him real quick. Uh, for Image Comics, he's the co-creator of Phonogram, The Wicked of Divine uh, with Jamie McKelvey, Die with Stephanie Hans. Uh, for Marvel, he's written Journey into Mystery, Young Avengers, X-Men, Iron Man, Darth Vader and Star Wars, Eternals. And he has just finished uh, the Warhammer 40,000 Marnius Calgar miniseries, which you and I re uh -huh. uh, recently reviewed. Uh -huh. It's Kieran Gillen. Hi, Kieran. Howdy. I know, that list of stuff has made me it's that kind of moment oh my god i've actually had a career and i feel yeah. really old which is kind of yeah. not quite you know actually nice because i'm still doing it but like <laughs> yeah. the idea of like literally i've been like full-time comics for a decade and was doing it for another five years before that uh -huh. that's a lot like it's kind of like it genuinely is a lot uh well yeah. you know there's there's a comic i didn't list uh from very early on in your career i've tried to get a hold of it but it's hard to get uh it's crown of destruction your original Warhammer comic. <laughs> I was going to say, what, uh, obviously, there was nothing original about that comic, trust me. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, actually, interesting, it's not even my first Warhammer comic. Like, the first ever work for Hire I ever did, like, uh -huh. back in 2003, uh, Games Workshop were doing, like, Warhammer Monthly, they were calling it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I did two uh, stories in that, and that was my first ever, oh, that was my wow. first ever work for Hire comics. Um, and then they closed down the comic, clearly yeah. knowing they could never match the brilliance of this five-page uh -huh. uh, story uh -huh. I did. Uh, but yeah, that was actually the first time I paid, and the um, or was paid rather. Uh, art one of them was Steve Pugh, which was amazing. I literally when the uh, wow. when the message came through from the editor, saying, "Oh, we're going to get Steve Pugh to do it," I had a moment of like literally googling around to see if there was anyone, uh, if it was another Steve Pugh, like Steve, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Steve Pugh, pl a plumber who paints his own feces or something like that, you know. Uh, but there wasn't right. was actual Steve Pugh, and it was he did this beautiful like a grayscale because it, it great like ink washes uh -huh. uh, of Necron, uh -huh. and it was really very very lovely. Yeah, what uh, but, was what was the what was the stories you because i was working in a games workshop hobby center back in 2003 and we carried a few of those warhammer monthlies so which, which was your stories one of them was the first one i must have to get the artist unfortunately uh but it was basically uh, about rough riders uh, as the imperial guard who mm -hmm. ride horses and uh tricking some orcs to go off a hill suppose i don't that one didn't quite work well uh mm -hmm. the other one though was i said with steve Pugh, and it was very much just kind of um a very much a sort of classic 40k setup of uh people discovering necron on a planet and being narrated by this kind of very mythical voice and by the end you realize the entire planet has been exterminated and yeah. there's a, a few humans left alive telling myths about how the necron came and then the planet was wiped out of orbit in lovely cpo vision uh, yeah, that sounds yeah. great it was fun like five pages it's like you know a pure burst of um drink beer money at the time but yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, but Crown of Destruction. Why don't you... Sorry, Crown of Destruction was good, yeah. but it's my first ever American work for hire. And like, right. basically, this year Phonogram was coming out, and Boom had just got the Warhammer license. Uh -huh. So me and Steve Sanders, who were like sitting on the tables next to each other, Steve, who had just done um, Five Fists of Science with a Fraction, uh, and uh -huh. I ended up working later with Steve on Sword, which was my first like ongoing at Marvel, my five issue ongoing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, such as it such as it was. Yeah, marvelous. <laughs> uh, and we just, I just wrote to him, like wrote to Boom, saying, "Hey, we know Warhammer. 
uh and then like literally a year later they mail back saying hey do you want to do a four issue mini or something and i think in my head it was like they just they were clearly about to run out of license time and they had to actually you yeah. know let, let's get another one out quickly this guy mm-hmm. he's mailed us uh and so we did this <laughs> five issue was it four or five i think it was four uh and it was basically imperial versus vampires versus skaven in the old world so it's like warmer fantasy and that's yeah. kind of like how i learned to write american action comics like it was very much like being paid sort of a page rate to uh and i just like okay how can you would so it's like me ticking something i loved but also it's quite if you look at it you can sort of see me kind of figuring stuff out like page turns and um how to do action and there's one beat in it i really like which is the um the vampire lord is being faced off against this the lead character is like a, a great sword who are like sure for those who are listening who are just like kind of uh-huh. like uh, imperial like yeah, yeah imperial big trendish sword dude and uh-huh. then and the vampires walk up going oh, everything's burnt around them and he's just do you really think you're gonna page here do you really think you're gonna face me with uh you know two arms and six foot of steel yeah. uh page turn splash image of him sword all the way through him yes <laughs> <laughs> and that's like you know pure mark miller action beat uh yeah. and, and, right. and you know and it was like me when i sort of did that i was like oh yeah this is a certain mode of comics and that will tickle <laughs> you know what i mean it's, yeah. it's not all like phonogram and emotions right right yeah. anyway um that's and that's so, crown of destruction so yeah, yeah. and that's not easily found mark you said you've searched high and low and well, I, I I ordered one from a uh, a major um, book retailer online. Let's say through a, sure. I had to go through a third party, uh-huh. and it was about a month ago, and still haven't received it. <laughs> I, say, uh, I think Games Workshop <laughs> did an edition. Like Games Workshop oh. occasionally get stuff back. So I, I remember being in one of their shops right. and seeing like, oh wow, there's a sort of a Games Workshop version of it. So it, we, it is somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm not sure how easy it's to get anymore. Which I'm, it's not exactly. I'm not going to say it's bad or anything, but, you know, it's that kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's juvenilia, let's say. Yeah, juvenile is definitely the word I would use. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm being down here. It was genuinely, it's, it's rollicking adventure of, what's the best bit? I'm sure it's like the Skaven, basically a necromancer has st- stolen a, a Skaven artifact, this warped stone uh, yeah. crown, and he's using it to hide from, the necromancer used to hide from his vampire lord. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when the crown's like pulled away, the vampire lord turns up. So it's got this escalation from just turning up, and then the Skaven turn up in an army, and then a vampire lord turns up, and everything's exploding, which a lot of people get torn apart. <laughs> and, and, and the moral at the end is, in a pure Warhammer moment, is because the guys have no idea how they've won, and they're pretty much just like, "Don't worry, ignorance is good." Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's like that—that's the moral, that's the Warhammer kind of moral you you really want. That sounds like uh, one of your thoughts for the day yeah. uh, in your Calgar comic. <laughs> Um, now, so what is, in terms of, uh, what you just finished with the, uh, Calgar mini, uh, last year, last summer, you, um, you sort of laid out what you were hired to do, come in, write the first mini, leave some, um, some story suggestions. Um, is that still the idea, the case? I mean, like... I can't, really can't say anything else, obviously, because, you know, Marvel hasn't said what they're doing next. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So it's not really my place to say. But in the whole kind of, okay. like, speaking broadly, uh, the um, the idea was, okay, this is the book to do. This is the... I can describe what I did as basically a Warhammer whisperer. Because, you know, like, the Marvel editors right. are, I can translate Warhammer to them, and also I can translate Marvel to the Warhammer people. Yeah, you I know, was wondering so, about right. that. There was a bit like, as, some, as in I'm 
I'm of an embedded knowledge, which is quite hard to get. Uh, you know what I mean? And that's definitely part of it yeah. when I was talking to them about people they might want to hire. That, that kind of it's just quite a, it's a hard universe to just write cold because it is so big. Yeah. Um, it's it's like people who both have uh, you know have a law degree and also go to med school. They're like, well, you're going to be a medical lawyer because you're one of the rare people who knows both things. Yeah, right. Yeah. Was, apparently, like when in the Marvel Summit when it came up, oh, we've got the Warmer license. It basically just went round the room, and Kieran's doing it, right? <laughs> you know, it's one of those kind of like, yeah, it is probably the only man for the job in terms of people who works at Marvel. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah. I gave him a bunch and a lot of them, um, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay now was well was marnius calgar you're like was that your assignment or were you like no this has to be the first story it's like it's one of the things like i don't want to go too deep into either the conversations of games workshop but speaking broadly like anytime you're working with an external ip you're like okay mm -hmm. why do you want to do comics you know what, what's your goals what is yeah. that you know what, what are the goals here for you why did you want to do this what is the desire to do it and of course you take that aboard then you work out okay I want to work on what I want to write as well because I wouldn't. I won't take the job, you know. Yeah, I don't. Of course. I, sorry, I don't need to take the job. Uh -huh. <laughs> so yeah. like, it's that kind. Of, it's got to be a reason why I want to do it as well. But that kind of like, there's a list of sort of stories that were very important to Games Workshop. And these are kind of what we want to introduce people. Uh -huh. um, and and then a list of like characters, like major characters they had, which and we think these might be good characters to use. And they also were like, if you also have your own ideas, like you know, bring them. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, I think the top of that list was Marnius Calgar, as in it was literally on the top of theirs, and it, as in he's a useful character to use. Um, and I did, went like, yeah, because I, if I was talking about my personal goal in terms mm -hmm. of like, like not personal, but one of my goals for this was to make a very as clean as I could make it introduction to forty k, as in you can give this to somebody and you'll probably get what it actually is by the end of it. Like not everything, like I've certainly had to edit really tightly, right. yeah, but like pretty much, I mean. As I explain people to, um, I'm explaining what we K is people. Anyway, you're, these are space marines, and, and they and they often ask, "So, what's the space marine here?" And I go, "Well, okay, think about what we K. What you're thinking about now is the space marine." As in, if you even heard, you know what I mean? Like it's the iconic uh -huh. image. Right. You know what a space marine is because that's literally the image that they present. The uh, the we use the word brand, and I hate the word brand. But you know what I mean? Uh -huh. It's it's it yeah. is the iconic image of them. Um, so I've, you've got to explain space marines, and then it, yeah. and also like. And how do space marines come to be? What are they? So it's like, okay, I want to do an origin story. As in, it's both of Marnius Calgar, because that's also completely open. That makes it really useful for me as a writer. As in, you know, his background is pretty clear. Yeah. As, as in clear, as right. in clear ground. Well, it's also, so by using a specific story about a major character, which is new information for people who don't know about Marnius Calgar's background, i.e. people who like Marnius Calgar already, mm -hmm. you've also used that as an example of how one becomes a space marine. So we can go through all these steps. We can show the utter grueling abuse and horror of it all. You know what I mean? So that's kind of, yeah. it, and by, and that's led to choices like, there's a reason why the chaos cult happens. Because chaos versus the Imperium is like the, the core 40K story. You know, that's mm -hmm. if, if you look at the, the wider IP, I mean, I'm a Necron player, you know, and I'm not, my, my particular choices aren't necessarily that, but the core 40K story is chaos. That's the enemy without, the enemy within, all this stuff here. So in other words, to actually have that, you have to actually, okay, I want to bring that in early. So like there has to be experience with a chaos cult before they become a space marine, because otherwise half you're not really introducing chaos until much later. So by right. doing the dual timelines, I can actually introduce all these different elements and dramatize what they kind of look like. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like, and by the end, you sort of see all that. And of course, most of all, like for me, it's 
just the the lunacy of the Imperium. As in, it's that kind of like I, it was very important to me to, to sort of make it very clear that uh, the Imperium is not a reasonable response to the universe it's in. The Imperium is an entirely unreasonable <laughs> response to the universe yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, as in, like yeah. there is this is not a good idea. None of it is. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that's and that's kind of like that's I think. The, the, when I think people come unstuck with Warhammer, as in when they sort of start not re, not holding on to that, as in somehow thinking that any of these people are heroes, yeah, um, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah I, I I worked in a in Games Workshop hobby centers for a bunch of years, and yeah, there was definitely you could tell the people who were like, no, no, you're you, you should not be rooting for these guys, and it's, and uh, and on that on that subject, like, so I ran I've run a lot of demo games, like introducing people to Warhammer. And you have a background in Warhammer. Did you ever like, like, did you, did you, have, have you ever had a demo game? Did you ever watch like a store employee introduce people to 40K? Like, I have not sat in a demo game before. I mean, I've always talked, I mean, I'm old. Like, so I got like, I got, <laughs> yeah. I got Rogue Trader when it came out. So like, sure, I, okay. we, we had to make that stuff up. You know, we, our demo game was like cutting out the little, the little orcs in the back and uh, pushing around the map. Uh, <laughs> but no, have I ever had a, I mean, I went to get, actually, I had a, I was at a very early play. I went to one of the games days, perhaps in like 87, 88, actually probably 89. And Jervis Johnston, I sure, think. Sure, yeah, Jervis he, Johnson, yeah. I, I stepped on his foot, I think. Uh, <laughs> but there was also, I think it was Rick Priestley was original in Necromunda. But I was, did an early t- play test of Necromunda at games day, like like years before it came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think he was horrified because I, uh, I remember I, I sort of deliberately chose to shoot someone on the floor who was unconscious. And that kind of... <laughs> <laughs> such psychotic behavior here stop that um but no i don't think i have actually i mean i said i, I like i've been in shops while i've seen that happen yeah i've never had it explained to me but cool. I, I am interested like the actual this is one of the things when i got back in the hobby like yeah i do occasionally think like games workshop have a level of customer training which is quite impressive now like uh-huh. i'm very like I mean, not, not to denigrate comic shops there's some incredibly good comic shops and very good comic shop chains but the basic level of like customer service that a games workshop shop does now it's in, i mean just use example when my wife goes in my wife is never no one ever assumes my wife's not there to buy stuff for herself you know yeah. they've clearly right. been trained to treat people as customers and like try to introduce them and like you know and that's kind of mm-hmm. like nice i guess <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice but also you know more than nice kind yeah <laughs> and, you know sensible you know and it's um i often think it's like the uh Especially, I think it's slightly different in America, but in Britain, it's almost like you have these sort of. Uh, I was researching history of RPGs uh, for Die, and one of the things, the things I read was a monograph about 1978 about that was the mm-hmm. first sociological study of D and D groups, and one of the social right. pressures that was happening there was it was it was basically a college era game that was becoming a, a teenage era game, because basically the age of the players were dropping, and that was leading to a position where. Um, uh, parents were starting to leave their kids in this RPG group, and the older players were clearly, and we're not, we're not nannies. Stop using it for free. Right. And in some yeah. levels, you kind of view actually the, the Games Workshop model as kind of like, oh no, no, we, you completely can, you know, this is a safe place to bring kids and look at stuff, as well as a place you older people can come as well. Um, anyway, I'm rambling. No, no, no. But I mean, so, that's uh, that's obviously how having run Games Workshop hobby centers for seven odd years, that's like that's the whole thing, and that's mm. a big part of their success, right? Customer yeah. service. It's always, it's called the hobby. I mean, the, you know, the fact it's always interesting. It's one of those bits of terminology, the the hobby, yeah. uh, which right. It's interesting, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there is this history of 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 comics and game shops often sharing space with you know gaming in the backs of comic shops. What do you think that 
comics might do to tap into that potential gaming audience and turn them into a reading audience? That's hard. I mean, like, um, I mean, I've definitely some retailers I've talked to actually the in terms of the forty k comic, as in they had such a good pickup on the forty k comic, um, they started yeah. stocking some forty k stuff. You know what I mean? So that oh, was wow. just nice. Like, um, I, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not saying like I had thousands of retailers mail to me about it, but I've definitely had some talk <laughs> right. to me about it. Um, a lot of it's just stocking as well. You know what I mean? Like you, st- you know, if you've got the right material, like you stock your D and D stuff by, uh, like, I, I know some retailers stock dye near the RPG stuff, for example. You know, and like yeah. there's a lot of right. like, can we just cross pollinate stuff there? Um, I think the question, it's one of those questions, is just too big. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah, people sure. also, you know, they, they come for a reason, and gaming isn't comics and vice versa. That's yeah. right. Well, and and on that subject, um, is there were there ever instances when you were writing this uh, where the sort of your familiarity with the game of Warhammer 40k uh, prevented you from doing a story thing that you wanted to do, like saying, "Oh, you know, these kids could never outrun an amble." Or <laughs> Actually, it's called an amble because that's the speed it walks. It only ambles. Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, oh, that's, that's, right. that's actually in canon. That's not canon. I can literally hear someone <laughs> quoting Kieran thinks the amble is called amble because uh-huh. they amble. Uh, not really. Like, you kind of know the... Di- I mean, you know the difference between the mediums. This is one of the things, that, like, my my writer brain isn't the same as my fan brain. Like, my, it's yeah. not like right. when I'm writing 40K, what I'm trying to do is... Actually, the main sort of thing I was trying to do is why do I love 40K? What kind of stuff really entertains me about it? And then how can I explain that to other people? So it's not about me indulging my own love. It's about me trying to share that love. That was always the kind of the vibe. Um, so very much like what I'm looking at, what I was always looking at, okay, how can I use this material and explain it and turn it into comics and really like turn it into comics? Um, yeah, like right. stuff like uh, I'm very much grateful for Hickman allowing data pages to happen at Marvel again. Like I've used a lot of data. Yeah. I've, yeah, I, yeah. I, oh, yes, absolutely. I've used so much tech stuff in my indie books. Like, so it's sort of always the device I've used over there, but like being able to quote unquote being allowed to do it at Marvel, especially it makes so much sense with Warhammer, you know, because uh-huh. you know you drop a space map and suddenly we've got this device of here's a planet, here's some facts about the planet. So as we get to step back and have, but you know, actually it's the thoughts for the day, all that kind of extra stuff around mm-hmm. it, and you can make it feel like 40k in a slightly different way. Um, right. Yeah, I, I got to say it was especially useful for I'm. I'm entirely new to 40K. Um, and just having things like the data page with uh, the Lord of Skulls and what his deal is, because, you know. Skulls it, is his it, deal, it's, Mark. It's, yeah. Right <laughs> but it's very name. nice to see, oh, that giant skull is full of flaming skulls yeah. that will explode. And presumably those are full of little, you know, mouse skulls and, and sure, yeah. smaller they skulls. They keep going on down the line, there. yeah. Yeah, skulls all the yeah. way down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it and as a as a longtime 40k fan, it it was also great cuz that's that's a that's been a big part of the 40k aesthetic is reading through your rule book and seeing those little thoughts on the side of the page and being like, "Whoa, that's pretty messed up." <laughs> yeah. I like the uh, it's always one of my favorites. So getting to write, I mean, in terms of like I often talk about like the the moment when you're writing Wolverine or so, you you write Schnicked and get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. Like, but right. the uh, and there's a couple of like, all the all the way through like the Darth Vader and there's lots of sort of thick moments you get to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I get uh, like being write the Force be with you. You write that and it's like oh my god I got to write that. 
Yeah. But yes. the uh, writing the thoughts for the day is probably the big one for Warhammer in terms of sitting back and thinking <laughs> like, okay, how can I say something really awful and make it, you uh-huh. know, you can make it, you push it slightly bleak. New York, you can push it funny. I mean, like I said, the best one was for me, the, the, the pure why, thought for the day, why are you thinking? Which felt like that is, you know, that's yeah. that is the most... <laughs> I, I... I was surprised that it that it that it came that early because I saw it and I knew, oh, it's not going to get better than this. <laughs> you might as well start this like kind of like, well, if you buy one issue, you kind of like you need to. It's definitely want to highlight the. Yes. Oh yeah, this is like you've got to be a, reading that and thinking, oh, this is a good place. You know, like you, I don't think that's a defensible read of the book <laughs> in that kind of way. I don't know. Yeah. Well, on the on the flip side of uh, bringing gaming into comics, uh, you've also designed a game based on your comic, uh, Die. I'm talking about. Um, now, what were there ever times where, because um, you've run several Die games and and you're running campaigns now, were there ever times when your players have come up with a solution that you maybe want to take for your characters uh, or that you hadn't considered how your game rules might actually impact the uh, the story that you're telling in the comic? It's, mostly, it's less about the players and more about the process of designing. At least, I must say, I've kind of right. forgotten why I decided to do it. It just like it just seemed like a logical thing I should do. Um, there's a, a friend of mine, Lee Alexander, who's like a writer. She used to be a critic, now she's a writer. Now she like, writes uh, like narrative design. Um, and we did this issue of WickDiv, which was the interview issue, which was basically it's a magazine. I basically got journalists to uh, interview me, pretending to be the gods via I am, and we turned it into a format, and they wrote it up in their styles, and yet we put it together, and it was very beautiful. And she sort of said that your work is most interesting when it basically uses the intersection of skills which only you really have. Um, mm. And I sort of sling your hook, Lee. You know, but when I sort of stepped back and thought, like, no, I kind of get what she's saying in terms of like that involved me being a magazine writer. That may involve me having enough contact with serious journalists to do it. Involves me being in right. the nineties and doing internet chat RPG stuff. You know, this, you know, so I could actually, I could play the characters on the fly. So involved editorial, you know, there's lots of different intersections there, and like it's not like a unique skill set, but it's certainly not an not a common skill set. So yeah. Taking that into die was like, well, you are the sort of person who would make an incredibly complicated, not just even like a, there's no, I would say there's no such thing as a simple system, but that's not true. But like the, the concept of making a, a, a mechanizing fiction is not something I think right. most writers would do. Um, like to the level I think we've done in die. Therefore, I felt I have to do it to see it. And this basically mm-hmm. with die as in the RPG became a device to think about the comic more. As in, like, if I'm even if right. I'm not thinking about the comic, I'm thinking about this, and therefore approaching the comic from a different angle, and also vice versa. Like, there was a definite time earlier I was worried about which was the tail and which was the dog, and now they kind of became yes. like a hologram. You know, like they're, they, I understand die outside of the comic and the game as a kind of three D <laughs> structure between them. Like, so it's okay. I've, I've turned into Grant Morrison, uh, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> it is all dog and all tail. Yes, exactly. It's just like this weird chaos beast of dog and tail flapping down the corridor towards you. Yeah, um, yeah. But Kieran yeah. has started floating above his chair, and the the heavens have opened up above him. It is honestly it's like genuinely like the, the, the sort of the weird, creepy uh, cosmic horror of die. It becomes increasingly real in that like the stuff isn't quite in my control. Also, the weird resonances. <laughs> Which is yeah, fun. Yeah. I mean, it's literally. I, yeah. 
And especially if you if you played the game, there's so much about the game leading into the ritual of, oh yeah, maybe this is a magical ceremony to transport us into a magic another world. And we lean into the uh the the magic circle of the magic circle of a, a game group you know mm-hmm. um right it, the, there's there's more connections between cults and rpgs than i think people often would like to admit i mean like half of die is let's treat the satanic panic as if it had a point and of course that is absolutely right. as someone my age that's forbidden fruit <laughs> you know what i mean like mm-hmm. we, we spent so long fighting that stuff and rightly so and i was you know i that but now since we've won we get to sort of examine that and play with it a bit more um, yeah, in a in a safe environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, and we, I think we could be more mature about our hobbies now. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like this is the worst thing about like any time when uh, art is culturally heated in certain ways is that you are forced into a, a much more defensive position. Like, there's mo- like, I would always go to bat for RPGs no matter what back then. You know, and now mm-hmm. that we're so more culturally dominant, we, I don't need to. I can like actually that is a problem, or this bit isn't. And you know, you can have a much more sophisticated view yes. as opposed to like. If it's a situation where something is being attacked by really noxious parties, there's no way I'm going to say anything against that because, like, I don't, I'm not, you know, it, this is much more important than the minutia. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I tell you, like the stuff in Die the RPG that came before the comic, like the Fallen, the twist of the Fallen, what the Fallen really are, that came yes. from the comic. So that came from the game, and, and that, and there was actually Fallen in the comic before. And I didn't really have an, I didn't right. really know what they were. I just knew there was a baddie and they, this and this. And then I sort of realized I had this problem in the game, which was uh, I want to kill, you know, I want, what, what's the device for, you know, killing people basically? Because killing people is quite, it's quite a brutal system. And killing people yes. tends to be the end of the game. And that kind of like, oh, no, no, let's make it not the end of the game. They get up again, they just lose their vote. And then they have to kill, they have to right. kill someone else to become alive again. And that kind of really basic mechanic, like that straight out of a, like, Reality TV is a big influence, weirdly. You know, Die is uh-huh. just a very yeah, simple idea. Mm. Right. Yeah. And then it fe- and there's a lot of stuff that feeds back. But going to the player side, the fact that I've made the characters so, character classes rather than the characters so complicated. And I don't mean that in a kind of like self aggrandizing way. I just mean because there are a number of mechanics interacting. Yeah. Sure. Like, for example, Emotion Knights. Emotion. Yeah. There's, there's eight yeah. of them. And we've only really ever met one and a couple of them in passing. And so that. And this basic idea is the idea they feel these emotions and they become powerful when that happens. And they can also draw the emotions from people and they use that to power them as well. And you, you start, I mean, it's, I followed the system from the world building, but like there was, um, like the joy nights, I saw joy nights are quite often terrible people because they can literally suck joy from people and, you, and then attack people. And if they mess it up, they literally, imagine that I went to a village and then sucked, sucked the love, sucked the love from your, so, sorry, so uh, the love of your wife into my sword, you uh, to kill a dragon, and you no longer love your wife. You know, that's what right. a joy knight can do. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you get stuff like, you found, like, a terror knight sounds like they're kind of, you know, they, they're between monstrous. Then you ask, oh, no, they can actually make people braver. Or, also, they, they've yeah. got to be feel afraid to actually fight. You know? And that's the same thing about joy knights. Joy knights have to be people who, enjoy, if they're in a fight, they have to enjoy being in a fight. Otherwise, yeah. their powers don't. Exactly, was... yeah. Otherwise, they're not yeah. powerful. So all those... I've thought a lot about that. But there's... the fact that the rules are things to be interpreted means that when you give them to players, they run with it. I mean, like, even like when I play... I've rarely ever played the game because I'm always running it. But I was playing a Vigilance Knight briefly. And mm-hmm. I thought... And I only realised when playing it, like, that one of the other knights is your sword can actually sense that motion. So, like, a Fear Knight could sense sources of fear. As in their mm-hmm. sword... Hey, their sword could and their sword might lie to you. But like you know, they would. 
And I realized that vigilance light can actually sense when people are looking. So essentially, you've got, you can, right. if you ask your sword, you can use it to track people. You know, if you're trying to sneak into a place, your sword, you know, you can actually, you could do it like that. And I hadn't really thought about that because I've never written a vigilance night's abilities that tightly. But you yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's so much about Dyer's, like, let's create these broad rules and allow players to interact with them and see what emerges. That, for me, is yeah. what's interesting about games. Yeah, it's so interesting that, like, because you're approaching it from, a, with a game design, you you put it out there and then you watch players mess with your game, basically. And, and I know players, they will find every different way to come at your rules or mm. your, your the things you've set up. So it's so interesting that that also is informing like a, a narrative you're writing, the, you're, the comic you're writing. Yeah. It's also, I mean, very, I mean, this is the thing I think, people ask me about what games has influenced my writing generally, and it's a systemicness, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course. There is a kind of, I, I tend to think about worlds and how stuff interacts, and I'm interested in mechanisms, by which I mean like, I'm telling you, like, let's say about Die as the RPG, and I've done a couple of other RPGs, like small, in smaller, ones on i've got an hio page um and a lot of it's like how can how can i turn this narrative thing into a game that people can play in other words how can i boil narrative to the it's moving components like it's almost like it's not enough for me to write a story anymore i've got to yeah. write a, write something that allows you to create your own story like yeah. i need to understand like die the rpg is about can i understand die well enough to give you a, a book and it says right you can go away and make your own die now you know, and that's kind of that's right. where I am at the moment. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, you um, <laughs> you recently put out a uh, um, a very short game um, during the pandemic about taking a walk with a friend, mm. um, and it it occurs to me. Can first for our listeners who aren't familiar, could you describe it real real quickly? Yeah, amble was like um, <laughs> that word again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there it is. So I was uh, when I was. It's actually, it's very much like a lockdown game. Like, so one of the things I've done is I've started taking walks and I, I get on the phone with my headphones and just walk and talk, phone up a friend and we talk and they're often walking as well. And we're often like talking about stuff we're passing, like, oh, you know, there's just been a car crash or, oh my God, that tree's fell over or, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm very aware that I'm not seeing any and they're not seeing any, but we're having this conversation, we're connecting. And that got me thinking about this game design as in the game became, as you're, you're two people and the story is you've met up in a pub uh you know and you, you're probably in a fantasy world or but you know you're in some kind of world and then you're basically talking about how horrible journey how horrible your journey has been to see them and uh -huh. then basically by using prompts in your environment you start answering questions so like one place so uh what pretty much like what sinister thing got in your way and you look to your right and then you see like um what's your like a log and he'd say like, "Oh yeah, there was the bridge was down, yeah, or fallen, you know, fallen log. Oh yeah, the bridge was down. I couldn't get over the river. It was terrible." And they ask questions, and you sort of build. And eventually, he said, "Look, how do you get past it?" Or like, then you look to your left, and you use whatever on your left as a prompt to how you solve the problem. And then mm -hmm. you switch, and eventually, you, you know, you do that three times, and you get to you meeting up in the pub and being glad to see each other. So it's a game about actually meeting with people, but it's also a game about transforming the environment. And it's also yeah. there's, a, there's a sort of magicness because you have no idea what they're seeing. That's the kind of fun of it. Um, yeah, and you know it's it's a one page thing, and it's a, a kind of I'm this is my comics as well. I'm quite into stuff that enchants the world. You know, the I, this is the thing with phonogram. The number of people who sort of said that you know phonogram gave them permission to think about music like that. Like in other words, they could walk into right. a club and think about the music like that, and you know it's just a, a useful metaphor for the transforming world. And like that's kind of what I like in when I see like indie games, like the really indie side, like Ambles. You know, Ambles a fairly tame example of it. Um, 
that's the kind of what I like as in just people's imagination. And here's an interesting, playful way of looking at the world for like an hour or so. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that struck me about it is that um, part of the escapism and the fantasy of it is actually being able to meet up with your guests. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and it's kind of it's 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 kind of beautiful and also horrible that we can't do mm. that right now, um, which I, I think kind of describes a lot of your work. Um, I'll take that as a compliment. No. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Um, going back to um, your talk about the satanic panic and how um, RPGs are viewed by societies, uh, in Die, there's a very specific uh, scene that I'm thinking about with the shade of H.G. Wells. Um, and it he puts forth this theory about the games that societies play and what that says about those societies. Um, what do you think it says about a society that we play Warhammer 40K? <laughs> I must say the cultural history of Warhammer 40K is interesting. I mean, I was thinking about this. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a game that comes from basically metalheads in the Midlands. You know, like these are basically, yeah. this is a black, um, this is a pitch black, heavy metal, uh, quiet despair of the gutting of the British working class under Thatcherism. That's kind of what it's about. Right. As in, there is no future, <laughs> and it, you know, and it's going to be all our heavy metal album covers. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's a cry for help of the universe, but it's also got that awful, you know, it's funny as well. That's the thing about the, this is, it's quite hard to talk about for game. Some people, because it can be a many things, but you kind of drill into different areas. And if people choose to sample one bit, they can say it's this, but that's immediately contradicted by stuff over the page. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, right. um, and even like, and obviously it's saying, and there's also the tension between the fact that there's some, there is something weird and primal about these toy soldiers bashing living hell out of each other. You know what I mean? Like, people like the things shooting each other <laughs> you know it, no matter how horrible the universe is that is that's also part of it the um the ramones of it all the turning up the volume the utterly and the fact it is utterly unethical um but i found myself especially with hg wells the thing about little wars which was hg wells's war game which i argue in the in die though you can probably i mean i argue it in die i'm not i could probably add a bit more subtlety i've had a conversation it's kind of the start sure. of hobby gaming you know he published a set of war gaming rules like and that before that there was a couple of things but really but really it was a military technology and it was designed to simulate in other words it's designed to be accurate you may notice what little wars does however is little wars if you read the rules and he writes about it at the end is everyone ends up dead basically there's like a handful of people left mm. on the battlefield uh and, they, and it, i think i put the quote on back of an issue of die but like if you play a handful of, of my you know play a few games of little wars you'll realize what a stupid thing the great war is you know what the great war would be um right but that kind of goes into warhammer you know for all the glory you know how many miniatures are on a game of warhammer at the end like you know basically there's normally about four people there (laughs) and it's like despite i'll be obviously i would never ever say like warhammer is anti-war in its aesthetics i would say Uh in its subtext obviously in its aesthetics it's very much not um it's and there's a- there's something something so primal about spending hours painting a model 
only to have it killed in the first turn. <laughs> and you're like, what's the point of all this war? <laughs> yeah. That's like, generally, you look at the battlefield and you think there's literally two people here. And, you know, and one person has one wound and he's seen all his friends die. <laughs> I think, you know, like, yeah. you know, and that's weird. It's so weird that Warhammer, despite clearly not being, you know, not explicitly designed as a pacifist game in the same way Little Wars was. Mm-hmm. It still has that DNA of, but everyone ends up dead. You know, like if you want to talk about British people uh, dealing with that, that's interesting, I think. Mm. Yeah, well, because your your work does tend to um, it does tend to have the themes of bleakness and there's some hope somewhere often, um, maybe not in Warhammer. Um, do you find it uh, more easier or more difficult um to write in uh, a, a more or less nihilistic mode that's tricky like i'm not people hmm i would say i do rarely write as you say i rarely write nihilism like it was yeah. like wickdiv explicitly is a story about hope and it's especially how difficult hope is Absolutely. to get you know as in like i i don't I find I find easy answers disgusting, uh, and I okay, disgusting is too strong. But that kind of like that utterly facile optimism, uh, an insult mm-hmm. to the world we live in. Because you know, if I, I could list any number of horrors that humanity has done to each other, uh, and there's definitely part of me is very much like you know, I respond to no out after Auschwitz as a statement, as in like you know, I can get that. But at the same time, is like well. Wicked is one of these things about why am I still alive? You know, if if we've got why be an artist, and if so, you know, what, what's the fucking why? Why do any of this? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's bittersweet. So whilst I'm always trying to get towards hope, it also is bittersweet because I refuse to remove the concept of death from you know. There's always yeah. that. There's no happy ending. There's just an ending. Uh, you know, right. and, but there's absolutely wonderful things in there. Um, so pure nihilism. Is either I must say, I've written a couple of things, but they're all about the screen that they're kind of the despair. Because if I'm writing nihilism, I'm normally writing despair. Like that's there's a couple of avatar things mm-hmm. I've done, which is about oh, there isn't a point. Maybe there isn't a point. Maybe okay, I don't think there's a point. I'm an existentialist, mm-hmm. but there you know we are a tiny meaningless speck, and it's awful. Uh, and the idea you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. With Warhammer, which is pretty nihilistic. Um, I think the I think the comedy saves you know what I mean I think there's only yeah. it's the only mm-hmm. way to put it in terms of it's a horror universe and I don't and the fact that it's not or you know it, the dial is sort of turned up it's a bit like um, I don't know like the day to day as in sorry it's a British comedy show you wouldn't like you well, no one listening <laughs> to this will know like that's what makes it bearable as in the fact that it's nilis you know, the fact that nihilism is being stepped back and looked at rather than lived inside right. uh-huh, is yeah. the um there's a line at, there's a line in Bill and Ted's second one when they arrive in hell and they say, Our album covers totally lied to us, man. And with Warhammer, <laughs> I think that, that the album covers <laughs> never lie to you. <laughs> and and that's the kind of like you know what I mean, there's enough of a kind of but the nihilism is being done for an aesthetic effect rather than uh something to be internalized. That you know. And that's one of the things I, I'm very right. wary of saying I'm writing that on ironically. Um, 
because irony is one of those terms which has been utterly worn down and often tends to mean things different to what I mean. But there is an I, but there is the, you know, the rightly irony of what we're doing in these kind of like, you know. And that's part of the, the, that's that's part the, of the thing. Yeah. I think the word parable I was going to use, which I hate, but the idea that Warhammer is in our universe explicitly is in our universe. Okay. You know what I mean? It isn't the way our world works. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. But it allows you to sort of buy by turning the dial up in a variety of ways just say some stuff you know or like look at some stuff and you use the nihilism to talk about does that i mean it's a, it's a an aspect, yeah a nihilism yeah. as an aesthetic rather than a moral uh, yes i think, I think that's yeah. fair mm. that's absolutely fair um one thing that i um noticed while reading uh marnius calgar is that the combat is often um, sort of dealt with as a matter of course rather than going into tactics um, and sort of in comparison with, with how you deal with it in Uber where every blow is meticulously detailed. Um, and I think that's part of the, the tone of Uber. It's, it's, it's being approached with a very um, historian-like uh, point of view. Um, what made you decide to um, not? F well, I haven't played Warhammer, so I I'm pulling this right out of my backside. But um, but what? Why did you sort of put that sort of to the side when you uh, when you wrote Calgar? If you did, if you agree, it's true. Hmm. I was like, well, Stuart, what do you reckon about that question? <laughs> oh. Uh... It's it's kind of interesting because like with with Warhammer you're not in a game of Warhammer forty thousand you're rolling dice to represent kind of a whole combat right you roll the dice and at mm -hmm. the end somebody's probably picking up some models and putting them in their pile of dead guys and I feel like the so the game doesn't really inform a lot of the individual like how somebody fights I guess uh huh um. So I, I don't I don't see a direct correlation between the that it's a game and how the action would play out in a book. Although I feel like I feel like you did a, a pretty admirable job of capturing the uh, like the look and the feel of these mountains of ceramite and man meat blasting yeah. each other. <laughs> I mean, Jason did astounding work. I mean, like there's uh, yes, wow stuff he does to move, uh, you know to move these objects around space and in terms of like you know there's just i could talk a lot about what he's doing and it's just a great he's i've known him for years i uh, obviously he worked at avatar as well uh but it's really good to finally actually um like get a book with him it's like i must say early on i think when i was pitching like my original outline i had more scenes with maps would be a good way of putting it like you oh, know, okay. you know uber <laughs> is basically my attempt it's writing a world war ii comic but i spend a lot of time trying to be as boring as possible like uber is basically hello yes. we are sick hello it's We've got this enormous budget. We're going to stand around this map table and talk about troop deployment. And oh, that's man. Not... Dads are drooling. <laughs> it is, honestly. It's like, oh, it's a lovely map. Uh, but um, but Warhammer, it's like, a, it's like explicitly, they like, they like part of the brand value of Warhammer is you don't see them sitting around having a cup of tea. You're, it's a, it's mm -hmm. only war. 
so you're, yeah. you're up, <laughs> so you, you end up in this walk and talk situation where you're walking and talking whilst murdering and that sort yeah. of immediately became the sort of running joke of the the mini is that yeah. you've got quintus desperately trying to have a, an actual staff <laughs> meeting like, excuse me i've got i've got right. a graph to show you and yeah. said, no, just just one more I've, I've got to deal with this but i'll get back to you as he pummels another thing to death you yeah I feel like editing a Warhammer book, the editor takes every scene and is like, is this war or not war? And if it's not war, they're like, cut yeah. it out. <laughs> Which part of only war? I mean, actually, that was quite important to me, actually, to show as much civilians and devastation as possible. Because uh-huh. it's one of the things that yes. makes under... I mean, I talk a lot about the enormous death toll randomly. And I, I, one of my favorite things I did was just the... how I thinking okay how can an agri world be horrible because explicitly you know you see and you think oh it's just wheat it's like superman in kansas and it's mm-hmm. no chemical fertilizers people choking to death you know people starving you know that you know because that's all that it all has to be like that but an agri world is yeah as, as mega often, thresher uh, machines just yeah. churning everything up that is literally i, I really i almost tempted to try to make um convert that myself because uh, yeah, like, J- yeah. jason clearly took like some of the kits and we put together but that kind of mm-hmm. the idea of like a cathedral uh, combine harvester is just like that's that's a good Warhammer yeah. idea. Good work, yeah. Jason. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. I uh, I, I also like the um, just the casual the way someone early on in the mini refers to the front lines of the harvest yeah. as if farming is also war, um, and it's 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 also it's 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 kind of funny how. Um, you have these beautiful cathedrals that exist in a world that is only war. They're building these beautiful things that are just going to be blown up. Let's face yeah. it. This is like my favorite is like the, the uh, Marnius is when you actually go to Marnius's house and they're looking around, it's full of bullet holes anyway. So, in other words, there's been, there's yeah. been plenty of battles here already. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just that this one flattened it. Um, <laughs> I too, actually, I, I sort of dodged the tactics question. It's like, yeah, it's much more or strategy, as in. I tried to tie stuff together. It's like, you know, the whole sacrificing Marnius Calgars, how I said, we're going to get them here, then we're going to hit them when they're here. So, you know what I mean? There's like, right. And there's always reasons why they're doing the combat. And occasionally, even on individual combats, I'm trying to show how weapons interact. You know, you've got this bit where like, uh, Marnie, a cultist comes at him and Marnius Calgar just punches through first the weapons and then into the cult. And he really slow that down. And even the final fight with, um, yes. uh, Severin and, uh, I've got his name, Kato. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. you know, it's all okay. This guy's got a sword and it's longer, and that means it's hard to get close. And that's you know, that's mm-hmm. that's the closest I kind of you know, I like these are when a fight's happening, it's about stuff moving around, but a lot is also looking for that what comics do, which is the big over the top action image, you know, like and there's a lot of that. Yes. As in, okay, what's the money shot here? Um, especially because. The fact it is told across multiple timelines, and there's a lot of there's a lot of quote unquote character work, which sounds like a ludicrous thing to say. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like this is you know this speaks to my sensitive soul. But you know, I mean, like there's a lot of pieces that have to be put in there to show about space marines and like, and I also want to get you know bits of Marnius's entire career. Like you've got these kind of teasers of like, oh here's a here's a Necron. And it, yeah, you know, if you've just read this, you have no idea what a Necron is. Uh-huh. Uh, but you're but like, you're intrigued by it. Yeah, but Mark, you know, Mark could be as well. Like, why, why is Mornius wearing black armor in this bit? And who are those weird like robots who are wearing other people's skin? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, there there seem to be robot skeletons who may or may not be Egyptian. It's, it's very it's confusing. Very confused. I tell you, my favorite <laughs> Necron. Like they since that was the they were the my when I got back into Warhammer for the first time. Yeah, like when I did that first strip for Games Workshop Circle, like two thousand two, two thousand three, uh-huh. I just collected a Necron army. 
because uh, you know because I was they were they were a new thing since I stopped being stopped really following it circa ninety three ninety four, um, and I I got the I got their story completely wrong. So I just read it quickly and then, then had a different idea in my head and then read it some more and oh no the story is different and they're basically. Um, I don't even want to paraphrase it to Mark. They're very difficult. They are basically, they were originally, okay, anyone listening will know this is me really cheating, but they were basically uh-huh. a group of very, they live the peak, they're all going to die of cancer. They're a, really, a very short lived species, and they bumped into another species who are basically eternal, and they were like, grrr, and they had a war, and they lost because these other species, the old ones are much better than them. And then they sold their soul, basically, to enormous space gods who put them all, who transferred all their body, souls inside mechanical bodies. And now that the whole civilization basically auto-genocided. And now they've realized it was a terrible idea. And they lost, they sort of, they won that war, then they lost another war, and they all decided to go to sleep and and basically then emerge in the future when the universe has basically forgot them. That's the paraphrased version. So they're basically like Terminator meets Lovecraft from the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the tale is all this time. uh, That should be the subtitle on the back of the codex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. how I misunderstood them, though, I actually thought it was they, they were born at the beginning of time and they realized there's nothing else alive. We're going to be alone forever and die. And they got so angry with the future, they basically turned themselves into killer robots, then emerged in the far future just to attack people for leaving them alone at the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. And that's what's yeah. th- that's my idea now. Because I'm, yeah. <laughs> you it's know, it's a much so sadder day, story. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, literally, that's completely a Kieran Gillen idea because it's really sad and also vicious. <laughs> Well, well, Kieran, I was very excited because my my oldest love in Warhammer Forty Thousand, the Gene Stealer cult, has a very small representation in the book. I think when Marnius is a scout, he like bites the neck out of one of the Gene Stealer cults to get uh, cultists to get like their memories or something. Yeah, it's like, I was definitely trying to chew like give cameos of his. I said for the introduction to Forty Kness, the cameo nature is quite important for me. As in, like I would love to get them all. I mean, like. I would get Jacaro in, you know, give me like. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Jacaro marks are basically orangutans who can, like, who are technologically able and just make weapons uh-huh. uh, by instinct, and they're delightful. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, was there was there anything else? Was there anything else that you were like, I was dying to get this specific thing in, but it just didn't fit in the same panel with a Lord of Skulls? Oh, so, I, tell you, an, I mean, my single favorite 40K thing, or at least. That's probably not quite true, but like one of my favorite 40k things, despite being someone who doesn't really like the Eldar, um, I've all, I, I spent all my friends played Eldar as kids, so basically, mm-hmm. I, they, I, my natural enemy is the Eldari. Um, uh, but I love that. Actually, I've still got 1987 era Harlequin, was it 88? I still have those original Harlequin mid- yeah, models. Yeah, they're great. I've never dared paint them because they frankly motley terrifies me. Uh, <laughs> Mark, uh, the, uh, the Harlequins are basically, uh, sp- I would say eld- elf space jesters. That's the mm-hmm. you know that's the best way to, and they dance a lot and they basically move around and that. Well, I, I have a I have a theater uh, education, so sure. I know <laughs> kind of what you're yeah. talking about. But I went to school with many yeah, of them. But I guarantee the people we went to school with did not have a Harlequin's kiss, which is my favorite single thing. Uh-huh. Uh, the Harlequin's kiss basically <laughs> is it's a tube. So imagine like just a tube, and you prod it into somebody. Yeah. And a nanofilament wire shoots out like a tiny tongue, whishes mm-hmm. around inside the body, liquidizes everything inside them. But you pull it out and they drop down like a, basically a bag full of blancmange. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're basically just milkshaking people. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would have loved to have, have Jason draw that. Because, like, actually <laughs> oh, drawing, God. like, you know, 
just somebody collapsing in on themselves and then this person dances away uh-huh i guess i'm i guess i'm yeah. gonna have to pay for a commission to have jason burroughs draw me somebody getting harlequin kissed I mean, it's like, honestly it's like that would be so hot i mean like you think about it for a second you think Ugh. i love it <laughs> well you probably need at least three panels for for something yeah. like that yeah. so i would just do it in hyper slow motion like honestly actually i generally do a whole issue because the other thing about the harlequin's kiss mark is they're fast sorry all the harlequins they dance yeah. and they're also like they've got this uh, they're basically holograms so they're very hard to see so they break apart into pixels and that shape so you could do a completely beautiful jamie mckelvey issue like the entire issue like of everyone else moving in slow motion and these harlequins just moving around them and use the hyper slow motion to uh you know you just get people sort of liquidizing behind as they dance over uh i would do yeah, the solitaire is actually one of my favorite units yeah um, oh man but we're anyway, going on a harlequin deep dive here yeah i was like but as it, you know so yes there is a lot of other stuff i love in 40k uh but now i was always like what's a good what's a good selection you know what i mean um, yeah, no, and I, th- I think you were you did a really great job of throwing enough stuff out there. So anybody who has a little bit of a uh, like a taste for 40k is going to have something they like. Yeah, I mean some of the stuff is fun. Like like obviously I'm using stuff that's already established in Marnius, but there's relatively little about Marnius's early life before he became Chapter Master. Yeah. So like you know I, I'm sort of you know you've got titles there and the tells just alluding to stuff, and that's all. When I was coming in, I mean, I said I'm very old, so I remember like the initial Horus Heresy. Article, which is the founding myth now like eight how many books is it now 60 yeah it feels like it right it's a I think... 50 it's, i think it feels like it must be at least 50 now surely and it's like and that was originally like three pages in the yeah. uh the realm of chaos book well i even it might have even been less uh and it's incredibly evocative just these incredibly single words and they call it and they expand out and that's what there's one of the things i love about 40k as in you just just hit the right phrase and people's imaginations can live in that space and that's something I trust. That's something I love in fiction. I think I think Morrison speaks about this as well, as in trying to make the the um, the comic bigger, than, the, the universe bigger than the comic pages. You know, yeah. the idea of mm-hmm. something that lives in people's heads and they think about, oh, what does that mean? I mean, in Wick did with that that whole issue of um, all the pantheons. So we went through every yes. ninety years, showing like what is happening, like just for one second, and each one of those is an implicit story. You know, um, yeah, I love that stuff. Well, they're doing that. yeah, and. and... And it really seems like um, your interest in games comes through in a whole lot of your comics. Uh, Wiktiv, uh, you've got the rules and 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 the implicit players, even if they don't consider themselves players. You made a game in uh, Journey into Mystery uh, as a as a nice splash page that just just describes a power imbalance or or a power balance actually is what it is. Um, so yeah, I, you can you can see that that theme going through uh, going through your work. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's definitely it's always stuff that impacts your thinking. You know, it's this kind of like uh, comics being a bastard medium. I think it's quite often most interesting when people bring ideas from outside the medium and apply it. You know, and it's like mm-hmm. um, uh, you, like uh, Will Eisner in theatre. That's a that's a good example. You don't get Will Eisner if you don't have theatre. You know, you don't uh, Pynchon and Alan Moore. You know, these kind of like the completely different. And of course, you know, this is also people's life experiences as well. But for me, yeah. games are also a bastard media, especially like I came from video games as well. Like games are about taking a variety of other things. I mean, a friend of mine, I think, this, I think this, I don't want to, I'm going to give him the credit. I think it was Tim Edwards, who was ex-editor of PC Gamer. He sort of described um, 
like modern AAA video games as like the cathedrals of capitalism. In the same way, you know, these mm. are enormous works of a lot of different people from many different skill sets and designed as a, it's almost an act of worship. Uh, right. You know, and if you think, take, break a game apart and just think about the all these individual craftsmen, then you just think about the people assembling a cathedral. Like I'm working this one tiny gargoyle for my life. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like, so there is a sort of connection between games and comics, doesn't it? They fact they both metabolize the rest of culture really well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I I remember reading people complaining about too much text in video games and why couldn't this be a cutscene? And I I thought to myself, well, that's neither of those things is game. Neither of those <laughs> is play, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, whether you're watching a movie or you're reading text, it's that's not the game. Um, although story does play into the play, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's very complicated, is the best way. I mean, I've got... Um, yeah. The concept of what is interaction is something I have spent far too much... You know, my, I used to be a games critic. So this kind of like... Those fundamental questions are, A, very long, and B, uh, just endless. <laughs> uh, I, mean, certainly, you know, I, was, I, I was certainly somebody who had very strong aesthetics as a, as a, as a strong, strong aesthetic preferences as a yeah. gamer. Like mm-hmm. even like, and I must—I think they've softened now. As in, like, I'm much more interested in like trying stuff wildly, widely, and assuming that if somebody likes it, there's something in there. And I'm more interested. Like, I'm much more interested in why people like something, and if there's any, you know, like if yeah, somebody. Right. This, this is part of phonogram as well, I think. In that, like, so, like, tell me why you like. I don't. Know, I'm trying to think of a band I don't like. Uh, that used to be a lot easier. <laughs> I mean, you know, tell me why you like Cooler Shaker. You know, I mean, what what is it that moves you? Um, I mean, my face looks cynical now, but you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff interests me, especially with games. Like what, what is, what's the magic ingredient here? I don't know. Right. You're talking from a, like a creator's perspective and like asking a fan of something. It's much more of a human's perspective, I think. Okay. Like, okay. You know, I mean, like, sorry, <laughs> you know what I mean? I said, like, sure. This is this is a this is a part of me as a as a human being, the way I look at the world, and that does go into my the work. As in, yeah. it's like, oh, let's talk. I'm, I'm interested. Tell me, uh, and then I'll think about that, and maybe I'll find an angle on my own stuff. I mean, a lot. Of, this the way my brain works creatively. It's about tying distant things together. So you find yourself reading about, I don't know. Uh, something at the Mongol Horde or whatever, and suddenly mm. you're applying that to something very different in a like modern video game culture, or yeah. you know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like, and that's the that's that's the magic part of creativity for me. The, the moment when you realise, oh yeah, these things are connected. I mean, the thing about we talked mentioned Die, and Die for me was reading the history of RPGs and turning it into a sorry, Die was for me was reading the history of RPGs. Then let's turn this into a Let's turn this into a conspiracy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, let's yes. wait, let's make it like <laughs> look at these dates, see how they line up. Look up for shapes and numbers, and what can we do with it? You know, and of course that's, um, and of course it's not true. It's conspiracy theory. The point of conspiracy theories is they are tying these things which aren't connected to make them appear meaningful. Which that yes. irrationality is by definition that's what magic. That's what powers magic. Uh, so that kind of fruition, you know, it doesn't make any sense in in a reality rational way, but it actually tickles something else. Um, and that's that is unsettling. Uh, uh, that's what I'm sort of flirting with there, I guess. So I, that literally mm. was a. Tr- you can tell it's Saturday night here and quite light. Uh, <laughs> is <that> my- <laughs> this is really going to a sort of a tarot deck for a brain here. So I'm sorry. Yeah, listeners. yeah, and it's it's funny because uh, I when I asked that last question, I it I guess I was operating under the assumption of like operating on 
as a creator, like separating your the thing you're like enjoying a game versus creating a game like you're and mm. you and you're like no human and that to me that that shows that for a lot of your process everything's blurred together for you right and, and in a way that like it speaks to die the way that you're working on you kind of work on both things at the same time the game and the book it's hard i mean like definitely the downside to being okay not the downside one of the downsides <laughs> of being me is that I've, I've managed to turn most of the things i love into a profit uh-huh, like, yeah. and that means everything's work yeah like honestly really yeah. hard for me to actually um especially because for me doing something is also a way of expressing love for something like being like from the music fanzine background like all the people doing crappy fanzines were also in bands you know yeah. and, plus, and doing the fanzine was another expression of your love and doing it is an expression of your love so like my immediate when i fall in love with something i'd almost end up thinking i should try that and just because that the doing is also showing love so the kind of critic creator boundary is not something that ever really made sense to me on a personal level yeah because the way i create is as a critic um and vice versa mm. well um it's been about an hour now um and uh, answered one question. Let, me, <laughs> <laughs> let me just ask uh one final question um before we go uh in your eternals comic you boil down certain characters for, I think, for people who aren't familiar with them uh, into a single word. Uh, for instance, uh, Icarus is an arrow. Um, what would you say is uh, Marnius Calgar is? Uh, is it, Mar- Marnius is two fists. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's tricky. Like, I found myself, I was chatting to a friend of mine about this recently, about one of my influences on Marnius Calgars. You know, the which is the third time I mentioned Morrison this uh, interview, which is quite rare for me. Um, Morrison mm-hmm. talking about All-Star Superman, and All-Star Superman was inspired by meeting this uh, Superman cosplayer who was just really chill. So he, like, uh, Morrison <laughs> sat down and interviewed the cosplayer uh, and asking questions. And the, and the famous cover of All-Star Superman 1, which quietly did, is Superman on the cloud, you know. because And the thing that Hanging yeah, Morrison got, that this person, if you're invulnerable, you wouldn't be stressed, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you, you're fine. You know, that kind of, you'll be incredibly at home with the world. And for me, with my I mean, a lot of space marines are very, very angry all the time and they're petrifying. Uh, and with my thought, well, A, he's in charge of a place. He actually has to rule a large empire. So he has, so he's a, he has better people skills because uh-huh. he's had to learn them. Mm. <laughs> uh, but also he's, imagine if you had all your emotions burnt out apart from the desire to murder, uh, you know, and uh, and you don't feel any fear. You'd be pretty chill too. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so that kind of like there is a Marnius Calgar kind of fills the cap. Like actually, he's not quite the Captain America role in a very real way. Um, the Primarch uh, Gilliman is Captain America, being literally a guy who's woken up uh, yeah. in the far yeah. future, mm-hmm. except he's woken up in the Man in the High Castle. Uh-huh. Uh, like, <laughs> but there is that kind of paragon, na- you know, nature to him. Um, but yeah, I, I did. It, like, but that's the kind of the idea here is um, the image of like uh, you know a, a, a placid face beating you to death would be the image I'd give you for um, Marnia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it, it. It it hadn't occurred to me until you said that he does seem like a really good boss. Uh, <laughs> you know, he just meets Quintus, who's a subordinate, and he's like, "Hey, come, come, come to my uh, come to my estate here. I'll you yeah. know I'll open up to you." 
It's, yeah. And uh, actually, this is the other thing I've shouted to my friend about. And you just absolutely know, like, you know, and he would kill Quintus without even blinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that's the thing. It's like he's, he's completely fine. <laughs> he's not being a bullying, but he's completely and utterly ruthless. He's just killed all the people who is his family servant, or, you know, you know, of all that, without taking a breath. Uh, yeah, that's why they're petrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kieran. Um, this was uh, really enlightening. Thank you. It's been lovely talking. And thanks so much about um, it's been highly enjoyable seeing conversations because it's, um, I often think about 40K is some of my favorites on 40K is just people talking about it because everyone, since it's so big, everyone always knows different amounts of stuff. Uh-huh, and I, yeah. I've got mm-hmm. that kind of like, you, like you know, the whole bit where I just did with the, the Harlequin's kiss. You can easily imagine mm-hmm. that energy in all those sort of conversations. So it's it wonderful to see it. Yeah, it it, it reminded me of like running a hobby store and having, I used to have one customer who was like a big guy with a beard and a ponytail. He was like an old space wolf and he would like to sit and tell all the new players bits of 40K knowledge that he knows. I love that. Oh my God, that's the most pure image. I love it. 